0: Welcome to Learning with Lisa, Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast with Lisa Navarra, award-winning educator, consultant, behavior specialist, author, and parent. This podcast provides support for school leaders, educators, and parents. We share and discuss evidence-based resources that are embedded in social and emotional learning to meet the needs of students who struggle focusing and learning. Teachers and parents find information and strategies to improve students' academic, behavioral, and social-emotional performance. It's time to turn kids from I can't into I can.
1: Welcome to Student Success Beyond Expectations. According to the CDC, 3% of children younger than 18 are blind or visually impaired. According to the National Library of Medicine, 500,000 children become blind annually. Today, we have an authority and a big heart within this world of deaf and blindness who really advocates for children, for youth, teens, and adults. And her name is Sue Rosensky from Helen Keller Services. Welcome, Sue.
2: Good afternoon, Lisa, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity.
1: It is such a great opportunity, not just for you and I to be able to collaborate, but for our listeners today to really open up their eyes to this whole world of population of how we can open up doors that may have been closed and broaden that access for us just through our knowledge of what you have to share with us today. So Sue, would you share with us, what is your advocacy for these individuals? Thanks so
2: much. You know, uh, I think I'd like to focus a little bit today on just access to experience for youth who are blind and also deafblind. Um, I think for many youth that I've had the pleasure to meet over these years, um, it really comes down to having the experience to have the opportunity to try to succeed or to fail, because sometimes those are our best learning experiences. But it's really gaining that experience that allows a young person who may have vision loss or vision and hearing loss to really gain the confidence and the skill and the ability and the belief in themselves. It's really about empowering an individual, having access to the same opportunities that all of us have.
1: Because sometimes through lack of knowledge or social and economical status, there's so many factors that come into play. What kinds of um, lack of access do you find to be a common thread?
2: So when we we think about youth, you know, who may be at that transition age, you know, in, in the younger years of high school, looking at the future in the adult world, it's really having um, opportunities to um, try out different types of work, for example, um, you know, to dream a little bit, to, to, to have access to information about life in general, to learn from others who are going through similar experiences that they may have or are challenged with today, um, having access to successful adults who can say, yes, you can do this. And I did this and you can do it too.
1: And that comes down to, uh, I believe maybe communication. Mm -hmm. Talk to us about um, how important communication is and how we can bridge the gap between the hearing world and the deaf world.
2: Yeah, so for individuals who are deaf blind, for example, um, sometimes it's really having partial or lack of information access to the same communication that we have in in different social settings, in educational settings, in work settings. So it's really looking at each person and within that community, the individuals have diverse ways to communicate that they prefer. And we have to really find ways to adapt our communication or make things accessible. And that could be through the use of an interpreter. Um, It could be the use of technology. Certainly during these past years with COVID, we have been very, you know, now accustomed to how can we adapt using virtual learning um, and making sure that it is accessible to individuals who may also have a hearing loss in in addition to a visual loss.
1: And, you know, Sue, I find it fascinating because I feel like the deaf world really tries so hard to meet the hearing world. But I really feel like we need work from the hearing world to integrate with the world that's so quiet and not always the opposite way. And I'd like to highlight and hear what your thoughts are. So there are lots of programs with second languages, of course, in schools. And Mm -hmm. there's Spanish and there's French and there's lots of different choices. I have been hearing a little bit more that people are taking or students are taking ASL, American Sign Language, but I still feel like if we can get people really interested in saying, hey, I can sign a little bit, then that can open my world to help others and vice versa. What are your thoughts on students taking ASL as a second language?
2: I am a strong proponent of that. And we have seen over the years that practice is growing in school districts across the country. You know, Here on Long Island, we've been introduced to different school districts who have introduced American Sign Language as one of the options for their students. Um, one of the you know, ways that people can also learn is to be involved with the community, volunteer. That's a great way to learn sign language, to immerse yourself and interact with people who are deaf or deafblind. We have a terrific program here at Helen Keller National Center. Uh, We're located in Sands Point, Long Island, but one of our interpreters created a youth program um, whereby nearby students in the middle school come to the campus where participants live while they're immersed in their training and they come twice a month in the evening and they have different types of uh, recreational activities that they enjoy together. But these these young students from the local school are really during this experience learning sign language naturally in their interactions. And it's, it's just a positive, a win-win for everybody.
1: I believe that when people where students choose what language that they want to take. There's, there's certain factors, maybe it's background, maybe they're Italian, but they never learned Italian, so they decided at school to take Italian. Maybe they want to take Spanish because they feel like really it's our second language here in, in the United States, and that could benefit them in the workforce. Can you share with us some benefits that people might not have thought of um, if they choose ASL to take as that second language?
2: Yeah, I, I think that it is, you know, in any job in the future. So, if it's a high school student who's selecting a language, having the competencies in American Sign Language will, will be something that their employer will look on at them as some added talent and skill. And having the ability to interact with customers who are using American Sign Language as their first and primary language, I think is, a, you know, a big plus for them. Um, also, you know, you never know when you're going to be introduced to someone. Or, you know, it's just a way to say, well, I'm going to pursue this because I know that I can support a person during an interaction and make it more accessible to them.
1: And I think as I hear you speak, did I just see you sign a little bit yourself? Oh, yeah,
2: well. <laughs> Tend to and to do that at times.
1: <laughs> sure, that's like thinking in a second language, right? And that's how I would believe it becomes such a part of you. And when these skills and knowledge becomes a part of us, it just, it's not another thing to do. Maybe this isn't something our listeners have considered, but mm-hmm. if they just dabble in it, they might find an interest that they never knew existed within them. Mm-hmm. It might inspire them for it to become second nature to them, too.
2: Yeah, I agree.
1: Let's talk about um, technology. Talk to us a bit about what kind of technology can help children learning in schools in younger years, teens, transition on up.
2: Oh, you know, there's been such an advancement in technology and what's available. It really has been a game changer for individuals who are blind and deafblind, giving them access to the you know, one and all internet for sure, Um, the iPhone and having it be a basis for information and communication using a braille display with an iPhone, uh, for example, can support a person in accessing the internet, in accessing emails, whatever uh, apps they are interested in, using a GPS system. There's so many different options that really it opens the world in the same way that it does for you and I.
1: So, Can you explain, I'm super interested, how is there a braille on the iPhone? So there
2: are devices and they, there are many, many different models with different features, but these are braille displays. They could be portable, something you could actually, you know, wear around your neck and have your iPhone in your pocket connected on the go. And it Mm -hmm. might have uh, 14 cells of braille that are refreshable that allow you to access what's on your iPhone. If you're at a desktop, you might have a larger Um, Braille display with the same refreshable cells to give you access to whatever is on your monitor would be therefore available and accessible to the person who's a Braille reader Mm -hmm. using their computer.
1: Absolutely fascinating. Again, the way that that world is trying to reach the hearing world, but I'm still going to say that we need to really meet in the middle and work just as hard as so, communities.
2: I love when you keep saying that because one of our messages um, as an organization, and we have people who are great advocates along, it's a, it's a team, right? So the idea is that accessibility is something that should be thought of first and not as an afterthought. Mm-hmm. So whatever anyone is doing, if they can think about accessibility being built in right from the beginning rather than an afterthought and it happening later, you know, so some of the even the software programs that are very common in business, we advocate with these companies to think about how are they making this program accessible to blind or deaf-blind individuals who might be working with these programs at their job. Um, it's it's really trying to not like bake it in, but I mean bake it in rather than like add it in. You know, right. at the end,
1: right. That it's just part of the policy and procedures if necessary.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, how do people get educated about what's available out there?
2: Well, we're a great resource, <laughs> so
1: Good. please, you know, we need you. contact us.
2: Um, we are national in scope, you know, and we also are based here in New York and in Brooklyn and Long Island and the five boroughs, but we have individuals with a variety of um, areas of expertise that can support anyone in trying to, you know, look at some of these issues around accessibility. And we can also provide you with resources in your local areas to support you. Um, One of the, you know, we were talking about, you know, access and just in the education realm, um, you know, another strong area of advocacy is really the importance of Braille and the learning of Braille of young students in in all, you know, who are having um, challenges with accessing print, uh, because that is their form of literacy. And that is so important because that will tie in again to their ability to access the um, technology that's available to them in the future. Right, you right. Know, so in- we're
1: talking ASL, we're talking braille. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And and for those people who have riv- ever ridden an elevator, that braille is always there. But have we thought, gee, maybe I should learn that too? <laughs> Probably not, right? We might actually feel like, well, oh, what does one feel like, especially when I was with my son? But to go that extra step to say, what else can I learn on a broader scale? Sue, let me ask you, for businesses, are you aware, are there any kind of guidelines that um, are necessary or regulations that businesses are supposed to have in place if somebody um, with one of these disabilities applies to be um, an employee with a company?
2: So the person who is applying um, may or may not disclose their disability, but they may at some point request an accommodation Mm -hmm. for themselves in order to do the job successfully. So that would be an area that an employer would want to be receptive to, um, to support that person so that they can perform the job to the best of their ability.
1: Okay, so that could be scary. That could be the unknown there. If there's an employer, and now we have to apply for accommodations. What does that mean? Can you explain that process to us so that way we can maybe see that it's maybe not so scary and it's actually very possible? It's it's just
2: sometimes, you know, there's this, I think, um, a misconception around what that might be, that unknown. And, you know, maybe an employer might look at that and say, oh my goodness, it's gonna be this expense to my business. But often it is not. Often it is something very, very, you know, sort of minimal in cost, but will make a great impact for this person in order for them to succeed. So I think it's really just coming with an open mind. You know, it's, it's really the barrier that mostly exists. It's not in the technology. It's not in, you know, it's really, it's really just having that, that open attitude of let me give this person an opportunity and see what they're capable of. And I think there's this other part that's so important for for business and companies to realize is that the person who engages with them as an an employee who may have uh, a disability, who may have a vision loss or a vision and hearing loss, they bring to this table at their workplace a perspective, a really different view that is going to support their growth, their innovation, you know, um, and just culture within their, their their company. So I think there's a lot more to look at that would be really in their best interest to hire this person versus, you know, what might be doubts or non-belief around what this person is capable of.
1: Right. So maybe even the questions that we ask. You know, while interviewing, if there's any doubt, go right there. Ask them, "What would you do in a situation like this? What's your strongest skill set? You know, what what do you believe? What inspires you? See if that aligns with your business type of philosophy. Build within that person's spirit to say, you you know what." we're gonna work this out and we're gonna work this out together. And really when we talk about accommodations, it's the same thing like when we talk about them in schools because in schools with special education, it's much more spoken about maybe because the population with learning disabilities, um, other health impairments, maybe some medical disabilities, depending on what the degree is, a lot of times they fall within the Mm services of public schools. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so we've heard of, okay, time and a half, Um, preferential seating, repeated passages, things like that sound more and more common. This is no different, except for the fact, we'll just add a couple different accommodations than we're used to hearing. Mm -hmm. And so if we see it that way, then it's like, oh, that makes more sense. And it's not such a divide. And so I think that helps to increase our awareness and perspective of people are just people, Mm -hmm. but maybe maybe we all, we all need a little accommodation. I know I do.
2: (laughs) Absolutely. We all do. And we all learn differently on the job. And, you know, we all have different styles um, of learning. So, you know, this is goes hand in hand with really being a good employer is really looking at all the, all the people, all the individuals on your workforce. Um,
1: Those benefits, like you were saying.
2: Yeah.
1: And now talk to us about a job coach. How can a job coach assist in this process yeah so for
2: many of the youth that um might participate in some of our services some of our programs during the summer or during the school year during breaks um, the opportunity to to have a work experience a trial at a particular job to see "Ah, is this something that i really enjoy doing do i have a passion for this you know what types of accommodations or just environmental modifications might i need on this job to be successful how do I communicate with my coworkers or my my boss? A job coach is really there to support that person in learning and excelling at the skills that are needed to perform the job successfully and to navigate some of those you know things that come up that might be unexpected. And then to fade out of the picture, not to be that person to you know be in the way, of course but just to be behind the scenes um, supporting that person until they can be completely independent in their job and then fading out.
1: So let's reverse this from the inside out here. What if there is a blind and or deaf individual and they're looking for a job coach? How do they go about finding one? So
2: throughout um, the vocational rehabilitation programs, there are different um, providers and you know Helen Keller services is one of those providers. Um, They may have skilled, qualified individuals who are job coaches that can provide that support to a person. And usually a a young person who is working with their vocational rehabilitation program would be offered that through that service program. So it's it's really something that could be available to them through local service providers throughout the country. Um, There's opportunities Not only for, you know, individuals who will at one point be independent on the job and have a job coach for a limited period of time, but there are also specialists that are available that work with people who may have more significant support needs that will be ongoing on the job through customized employment and it's really about working with that person long term on the job and really finding the, the best part of a job, perhaps, carving out something very specific for them. But this might be a person who might be deaf-blind and have additional dis- disabilities as well.
1: Sure. Sure. Again, increasing that accessibility to ensure success and happiness, which is something we all we all deserve, right? Yes,
2: absolutely.
1: So can you remember um, maybe a special Somebody that really holds your heart, or, or a big learning moment within your your time at Helen Keller, working with this population of individuals. Uh, oh, I've, probably so many.
2: Yeah, there are many. Um, you know, I, I as we look at you know just thinking about youth um, and through the years we've had many different youth programs, um, both at Helen Keller National Center and Helen Keller Services for the Blind. And it's it's really finding you know where a young person who may have had no experience away from home, who may have had a sheltered you know sort of time through their education, when they finally like leave the nest, might come to the campus here at Sands Point at Helen Keller National Center and be just you know immersed in a community that's so welcoming and where they find connections with people who are actually experiencing the same um, types of things about themselves, doubts, you know, what will they do in the future? There was one woman that, um, she was young, um, I don't know, maybe she was 15 and she came into my office and she had a list of 133 questions. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) 133. She had been thinking about this for a very long, like these were the things she wanted to know when she came to the Helen Collin National Center. (laughs) And she came in, you know, and said, I need answers. And I I I was saying to myself, well hmm, i don't you know the best way and i told her the best way for you to learn the answer is to go out to the community here of people who are deafblind and ask them and some of them were you know how does a deafblind person go to a prom how do they you know get married how do they how do they put makeup on you know how do we uh, do Um, banking but these were the things and she through that summer you know, had such a great experience because she had many mentors and many, many individuals that could really support. And it's really the best way is to have that collaboration with the community. So being part of a community on campus like that um, is such a great thing, you know, because it's the leaders supporting one another and the, the youth, you know, of today. So it was all uh, those
1: lifelong questions of 133 yeah. <laughs> questions. Sound like a lot of them were satisfied during that one experience. Oh. And you know, how it's wonderful. Are there opportunities for hearing people to to volunteer or to have employment or just learn through experience like we're talking now? So
2: there are, and that, that really is, um, you know, for I'm thinking of, you know, youth that are coming close to graduation and thinking about a career. Um, I think it's not often that they think of a career in vocational rehabilitation or working in this field. Um, and that the evidence is there because there is such a lack of qualified people and there are fewer and fewer graduates in the pipeline that we can hire. Um, during this time of COVID, it has been such a challenge to to be able to find qualified people. So I urge you to come and talk with us. You know, learn more about the field. There's so many exciting opportunities in things like you know this vocational area of being a, a, a placement specialist or a orientation and mobility specialist, um, a, a vocational rehab teacher. These are areas that are so rewarding in so many ways. Um, I would just Say you know, encourage people to to really look at that as a, as an option for their career choice.
1: That's great advice because we do need individuals, and they and they might not know what students now may not know exactly what they want to be able to do. So even having this discussion can say you know may, maybe this is something that I want to explore, and all that they would need to do really is is call is call up Helen Keller National Services, and we're going to give you all that information. We're going to put links down. There is even, I believe, a movie associated. So tell us about this movie, tell us. It was so heartwarming, I saw a little bit of it. Oh.
2: Yes, we had the pleasure and the privilege to collaborate with Doug Rowland, the filmmaker. Um, and he was someone who we didn't know, had contacted us uh-huh. about creating this film. And it was based on, it was really inspired by an experience he had years ago, meeting someone who was deaf in Manhattan. And it kind of was a story he had in his computer for years. And then finally he decided he was ready to create it. And we worked with him, helped him cast the actor. He interviewed many people we introduced him to around the country who were deafblind, um, And he ended up um, casting one of our own employees in the ah. film, um, Robert Tarango, who um, at that time was working in our kitchen, but, um, the film was really the first ever film to cast a person authentically in the role of someone who's deafblind, who is deafblind. Um, and it it was just a, a short film, but it opened up, I think people's interests to learning more about this community. So it's given us opportunities to connect with businesses and schools. Um, in fact, we're working with Doug right now on a very exciting project as sort of a, it's like sort of something that we've developed in response to all of the inquiries. And we're talking worldwide where people want more. So we built and we're in process. We received a grant from the Lavelle Fund for the Blind and the New York Community Trust. And we're creating a virtual platform where we're depicting, we're having people who are deaf blind um, actually teach master classes, talk on very specific, Topics have roundtable discussions, and it gives everyone access to people who are blind and deaf-blind from their, you know, from their um, computer. So you can get to know people very well, even if you don't have an opportunity to meet someone who's who's deaf-blind or blind. You will have access to this diverse community through this virtual platform. So we're very excited about that.
1: Oh, that it's something to be excited about for sure. So what is the name of the of the movie? The name of the movie is "Feeling Through." Feeling Through, and in this movie, Feeling Through, um, he's writing on a pad. The the he well, the actor who is really very authentic is writing on a pad. If some of our listeners uh, take the initiative to see this absolutely amazing, moving, powerful movie, um, they're going to see him write on a pad in English. Like, how does somebody who's deaf and blind learn to write English?
2: So again, the the community of people who are deafblind are very diverse with respects to, you know, when did their vision or their hearing loss occur? Um, For this person, you know, their vision and hearing, um, well, their hearing, he he was born deaf, but his vision due to Usher syndrome, which is retinitis pigmentosa, it it gradually um, becomes less, it's more restricted. The fields of one's vision and it can lead to to blindness but this person as he was growing up had access to print so he was able to learn the alphabet and learn how to write and I- therefore he had that memory in the movie that visual memory of being able to create you know letters and and print words um but for him to receive communication. If you remember, he received printed printed letters on his palm so he could feel the outlines of those block letters on his palm and that was a way for him to communicate with the gentleman in the movie that he met at, at the uh, bus stop.
1: And again, that's really an important part because I actually had just interviewed, oddly enough, I just interviewed um, a mom who didn't know that her child was considered blind until he was 15. He had CVI. Cerebral visual impairment and opened up this whole world of major advocacy of what she's doing right now. So even by you explaining to us that it depends, like this diverse world, now diverse means so many different things within different disabilities, but for all case and points right now, we're talking about when this person went blind, right? So there was a period of learning and remembering. Mm-hmm. And now being able to use that. So, when you see this movie, keep in mind it's authentic. It's really his skill set. And I want to bring it now back up to the workplace because some of these people, just like some of us, are brilliant and they can contribute, like Sue was saying, in areas and ways that, yes, maybe satisfy your business and your school's needs but maybe contribute and enrich in ways that you haven't because they have such gifts like we all do. And I gotta tell you, if I lost my vision, I may not remember anything. I may not be as strong as that gentleman right in that movie. So it's admirable and inspiring. And I think that when we are able to recognize someone's gifts and strengths, it inspires us. And I really do hope that this podcast and this episode with Sue and her advocacy and Helen Keller's services have really been able to inspire all of you. And if it hits you at home, make sure that you like and you share this episode because it's time that the hearing world meets that deaf world because everybody deserves that same equality. So Sue, would you like to leave with us any other last remarks or advice, anything at all?
2: I just want to say thank you, you know, for this opportunity to have this conversation. Um, You know, I, I, I think that we're just talking about everyone appreciating one another, you know, for who we are, our differences, and, um, and, and really celebrating the gifts that we each have to contribute and I feel that um, every person can make a difference in this area of accessibility and inclusion. So I I appreciate it. And thanks so much, Lisa.
1: Keep up the great work. We all need you, we need your services. Thanks for joining us.
0: Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Student Success Beyond Expectations podcast, where school leaders, educators, and parents meet on behalf of children who struggle with learning. To bring workshops to your school or organization, contact Child Behavior Consulting and get started with resources available at childbehaviorconsulting.com. Amazon, and TeachersPayTeachers.com for ready-to-use resources and children's books. If you enjoyed this podcast, remember to review, subscribe, share, and give us a shout-out on social media.